When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. today with Allison Slater-Tate, mom of four, college counselor and journalist. Allison, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, you have skin in the game. You have two kids that went through the college admissions process, correct? Two went through? Yes. I, and you I counseled. have a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what you say like actually you know, has substance to it. And I, I was introduced to you on Instagram. I follow Bridget Moynihan. And she posted, Uh, yeah, okay, you know what I'm talking about. She posted, college counselor, this matters more than anything else. And it goes on to say how it's your child's, your students, your prospective college students' mental health. Yeah, Bridget, I I, I owe Bridget a big thank you because um, when she shared it on Instagram, it got a lot of attention, which is, it's critically important that this gets attention. I've been a college counselor in a public high school and in a private high school, and I've worked with students all over the country and even the world for the past, you know, um, decade, Uh, more than that, but really been in schools for the past decade. And this was a crisis before COVID, but it has gotten so much worse. And um, and yeah, I I think that it's important we get really caught up in. Um, trying to get to the next goal and what we think our kids need and what they really need is to know that um, they're going to be okay and that the stakes are not so high with Uh, everything they do. Yeah. So the onus is on the parents. Well, here's the thing. I am. I mean, I have four children. I have a 15 year old and a 10 year old too, still at home. Um, I really empathize with parents quite a bit. And as a journalist, I've covered parenting for forever for over 10 years. And I I think that we tend to say, I hear a lot, they put so much pressure on our kids. They put so much pressure on our kids, the system, the college application system, high schools, teachers, everybody puts so much pressure on our kids. That's true. There is pressure on our kids and the college application system does not help. Um, the media does not help. Social media does not help. And all of that is very true. But what I have come to accept and realize is that the only people that we can count on to take some of that pressure off, the only power we have in this situation is with ourselves. And so we have to acknowledge that and accept it and be accountable and do what we can because no one else is coming to save us or our kids. It's got to be us. So it has to start in the home. But how, how so? How do you take the pressure off of your child while still encouraging them to do their best and to get into their top school? Do you tell them, well, you don't have to get into your top school, maybe don't have a top school? I mean, what is a top school? They're all awesome. I, I Are they, I though? I mean, with these tuitions yeah. that are astronomical, I mean, are they all okay? I, I feel like if you're going to spend $50,000, I mean, $60,000 a year, I want my kid going to Harvard, period. Am I wrong? 
Well, Harvard costs more than that, actually. But um, <laughs> I, I know. I but actually, <laughs> you know where I'm going. I told, <laughs> my oldest child is at Princeton, and he laughs because he says that um, we were the only parents who told him that we wouldn't pay for Harvard for undergrad <laughs> because um, because I don't feel that Harvard does enough to foster a sense of community in their undergraduate population, and that is part of it. I think it's an amazing place to go to graduate school, um, but I would like to see them put more effort into their undergrad. Uh, campus culture. And those are the questions we should be asking as parents, not just, is this going to get my kid a top level job, but also, is this place going to be nurturing and um, foster a sense of community for my kid while they go through college for four years, they are going to be alive. And suicide is the second leading cause of death in uh, young adults under the age of 25. And guess where they are during those years? They're at college. So you want them to be somewhere where they are building a sense of community. You have to ask those questions. You have to look far deeper than the U.S. News and World Report rankings. And I say that as somebody who went to Princeton, um, just because it's number one, ask yourself what those rankings are based on. What are they based on? I guarantee you, They're not based on what you think they are. (laughs) Um, They are based on the number of students in a classroom per per professor. They're based on a lot of factors that are um, relevant to money and how much money the university has in their endowment. And they don't look to the the little nuances of um, what makes college college for the students. So for me, I would have said Greek life. Party, <laughs> football games. No, I'm joking. Um, well, I mean, that is part of it, though. <laughs> Honestly, that is that's part of life, right? And that's a social outlet. Look, my my 18 year old is at Furman. Furman is not number one in the U.S. News and World Report. Um, and let me tell you something. I've never met a happier kid than my 18 year old at Furman. He is he has been to dinner at his professor's houses. He is learning. He is learning things that he didn't know existed in high school. And he's excited about it, which is honestly what you're really looking for when you're paying that kind of money. Um, he has built friendships already. He feels supported. He feels like he can speak to people when he needs to and ask for help. Um, lots of things that are going to get him to a place in life that, where he can be successful. Because here's the thing. If your child is breaking down and mentally unhealthy in college, I don't care whether they go to college, they're not going to be able to land that job that you think they are. Um, we're going to be happy if they get through college. You know, they have to be alive. So, what- uh, And it really does come down to that. Sometimes I have to say, oh, is your kid going to be alive for that job? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. Are you sure? What questions can families ask when they're going through this process? So there's a couple of things that I recommend to families um, when their children are getting to junior year and senior year in high school. And the first thing is when you're building a college list, uh, don't go visit Harvard first. Um, what about Princeton? A likelier school. <laughs> <laughs> don't go visit Princeton first either. Look, I'm the first person to point out the issues at Princeton, so I'm not the right person to ask. But, um, but uh it is imperative that your kid not fall in love with Princeton first or Harvard first or Yale first. Uh, And it's really hard to live up to those campuses once your kid has seen them. So pick a school with more than a 70% acceptance rate and go visit that school first. Because 
mentally, when the kids can find a place that they like and they can visually put themselves on that campus and know they'd be okay, and it has a higher acceptance rate, that's when a lot of the pressure comes off because they're like, oh, I actually know what the programs are there. Um, you know, Furman has a 70%-ish acceptance rate. Guess what? Furman has mandatory academic advising with a professor every week for the first two years of college for their students. Seriously? They teach them how to write. Yeah, seriously. They teach them how to write resumes. They teach them coping mechanisms. They teach them breathing exercises once a week, every week for the first two years of college. You know who's not getting that? Kids at Harvard. So um, that's amazing. And that's the kind of thing that you should be looking for on your tours. When you go on college tours, don't just ask, you know, um, where is the career center? Ask, where's the mental health center? Like, Wait, where are your counseling facilities? Uh, How long does it take to get into a counselor? Allison, uh, are, are yeah. st- high school students mm-hmm. vetting colleges already going to the like they're concerned about their career? I'm just going back. Cause my, my stu- really? See, I don't have kids old enough, but I'm just, so I'm going back to when I was thinking of colleges to go to. Right. I really yeah. wasn't con- I didn't even know what my career would be. Oh, same. I mean, same. Um, My career didn't really exist, honestly. I mean, there were college counselors in high schools and there were guidance counselors. But, you know, freelance journalism with an Internet. We didn't have an Internet when I was in college. I know. I I went to the library. It was huge and dusty. The stacks. It existed (laughs) Some some smart people knew about the internet somewhere when I was in college, but my little English major self did not know about the internet in college. So, you know, I would never have been able to even know that I could do what I do um, in college. But now career centers are a very, very big deal on college campuses and especially to sell to parents because parents want to know that if they are paying 70 grand a year, yeah. that they're kid is going to know what they're doing when they get out of there. And that's valid. I mean, that is super valid. But the other half of that is um, I want to know how long it takes to see a counselor if I need help. Um, It can be weeks. It can be months. Um, I want to know how many sessions I have with a counselor on your campus before I'm referred to find my own private counselor. That can be three. It can be eight. It can be 12. Um, I want to know... uh, who, what is the process if a student needs an extension on on a deadline and how is that conveyed to students? Um, Because a lot of kids get to college and especially our post COVID kids who spent, you know, at least a year, if not longer in their bedrooms, they're not that well versed in speaking to adults or in reaching out. They don't know what to do and how a college conveys that to their students is very indicative of how they treat their students in general. So, in on your college tours, you need to ask more than what's your acceptance rate and what's your you know uh, graduation rate. Although graduation rate is important too, I also like to ask what's your sophomore retention rate. How many of what percentage of your freshmen come back for sophomore year? Because that's also very indicative of student support, financially, socially, academically, um, and happiness. Amazing. So that's one thing they could do. Um, another thing is to. Uh, make sure that your students know they shouldn't have a dream school, just like you wouldn't want your kid to feel like they only had one soulmate in the world. Um, so you don't even use the word dream school. The kids that you I counsel, like you, you don't use that word. Yeah. Okay. Valid. 
Yeah, um, I met with my juniors today and I said, um, I really I really don't like the word dream school. I think that you should have reaches. You should have places that, you know, you um, you know that your profile it is either there's a million people with your profile applying to that school, or maybe your profile is not as strong as their published numbers, and that's your reach school. Have those, but don't have them top to bottom in a vertical line with the other colleges on your list. Have them from right to left, like every single school on your list. Only apply to schools that you actually like and and know about and mm-hmm. would feel good going to, because I think that when the kids set it up as there's only a few schools where I'm going to be happy and where I would be set up for life and I'm going to have a good life. That's a problem because this is, it's too, it's, it's too high stakes. It's too high stakes. Allison, we're going to be back on We're Momming Today in just a bit. Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. We're back on We're Momming Today with Allison Slater-Tate talking about the nuances, what parents and, and uh, teenagers should be asking of the colleges they're applying to. Um, I also wanted to talk to you, Allison, about chat GPT. It's so, I feel like this <laughs> just exploded. It's artificial intelligence. It's basically this website where you can type in, write an essay on da-da-da-da, and, and it will. And the essay will be pretty darn good. Uh, this is the future, yeah. and it just arrived, even though a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. And it's scary. <laughs> It's really, really scary. I'd argue it's more scary for the educators than the students because they got to figure out who's cheating, what information is dishonest, and you can't really dismiss it, right? It's technology. It's like we were talking before. We would go to the library when we were in school. I don't go to the library now. I Google something, right? You, like It's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating and it's actually really fascinating to see how people react to it. Um, I've talk to a lot of educators and a lot of college deans in the past few weeks. I was researching my story for Parents Magazine. And, you know, here's the bottom line. Um, Artificial intelligence is not going away. And ChatGPT as it exists right now is only going to get better and more sophisticated. So I think that what it's actually doing is it's making, it's forcing a call to action in education. What is our goal? How do we 
how do we convey that goal to our students? Um, you know, the age old question of why am I learning calculus? How am I ever going to use this in my daily life? <laughs> did you uh, say that when, when you were an English major? Because I, I did. <laughs> like, what's the um, easiest <laughs> math class I can take? <laughs> well, Princeton did not have a math requirement. In the oh, 90s. nice. Um, which was one of its selling points for me. Uh, so I got out of math, but I did have to take calculus in high school if I wanted to go to Princeton. So <laughs> and I, be pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. And no, I was terrible at it, let's be honest. But um, I got through it. Uh, yeah, I think that now kids, especially post-COVID again, COVID really kind of broke the walls down and made kids ask, what is the point? of this. If everything can fall apart in a second, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And I think that in education, unfortunately, it's at a time in education where we're all exhausted and burned out and don't feel like having to justify our existence. But I think it really is forcing educators to say, how do we work with students so that we're not it's really wasted energy if they spend all their time trying to catch cheaters. It's more about how can we implement this into education so that all of us can look at it as a calculator type tool for writing and not a replacement. It is really good, but it has limitations. It's not connected to the internet. It can't immediately go scroll the internet looking for things to use in its writing. It stops at 2021. So anything that happens after 2021, now all of these things I'm sure will change and they'll get better and they'll, you know, revolutionize it. But at this moment, it stops at 2021. It can't predict the future very well. And uh, it's really good at generalizing and boilerplate kind of things, but it's really bad at nuances and details and self-reflection. So I think it's going to make educators think about what they're teaching and how they're teaching it. And it's also going to force kids um, to have to write in more personalized ways. The, and the, I just yeah. wrote you, you, I wrote down what you said. It's chat. Artificial intelligence is bad at nuance, detail and self-reflection. So when we're talking about the college essay, right? Yes, I mean, yes. that's the, that should be as personal as, as possible. Yes. Yeah. And as a writer, I mean, what is good writing? Good writing is details. Good writing is personal details. Um, mm -hmm. It is details that you would think are so personal that they're not relevant to anybody else. But the more that's the paradox of like an essay is that the more personal your essay is often the more relatable it is to other people. And, and I think that that is going to uh, come into play a lot more. I think that the universities are already thinking a lot about implementing more video tools um, so that they can actually see students talking and oh. you know, adding personal thoughts oh, that way. Wait, hold on. But, so yeah. sorry, again, not there yet yeah, in yeah. my personal life. <laughs> but when when uh, teenagers apply to college, there is a video aspect now? To some, I think it's going to become more popular. Um, it's there are already places like the University of Chicago or Brown where you can submit a video of yourself talking about your life, uh, doing like a little video montage of your life or just talking to the camera and telling them uh, something about who you are as a replacement for an additional essay. And okay. I think that's going to get more popular. Oh, that's like yeah. good and bad. I mean, we hit up or I it criticize is. TikTok and our, the kids on social media and being so good at video all the time, but they might actually really need it. You know, here's the thing. I think that especially if you have younger children, my biggest advice is that you don't spend your time hand wringing over technology and social media and things like that. 
because all it does is make your kids think that you're old and out of touch. <laughs> well, um, I am. I, that's very on. honest. Um, I, I tell which, my daughter all I mean, the time. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I say how much of a fart I am and then I'm like, but look, I have a cool closet and in like a few years you can rate it and you can be like the coolest girl in school. (laughs) (laughs) That is very valuable. Um, I know. I really like that. Uh, that does not work so well with my three teenage boys and, and but, um, it is, you know, I have after years and years and years of reporting on parenting, I have just decided that we have to look at everything as both good and bad and realize that no matter what we think of it, it is part of their lives. And if we don't embrace it and learn it and learn how to use it, we're really in trouble. Like we are so sunk. So I try to learn it. Totally (laughs) random question, Allison. Do you monitor the sugar intake of your kids, especially when they were younger? No. Thank you. Okay. So I knew you were going to say no because you're a mom of four and you're realistic. I know, yes. That's how I am. I'm like, look, I pick my battles. If they want a donut for breakfast, I'm just going to give them the donut and we'll start the day on a better footing. And then, you know, a lot of other parents, better parents, you know, or ones with fewer children or who don't have jobs also. Well, you know, they're really, and they're right. They're, you know, less sugar, healthy food. And I just, I, I'm like, I don't have the time. The donut's fine. It's just one. I mean, first of all, when you limit <laughs> sugar, I just, well, for, I mean, I have so many thoughts, but I feel like, like I had a donut for breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm going to eat a donut for breakfast if I want to. So I, you know, trying not to be a hypocrite all the time. But um, I do feel like anytime you police food, you're inviting uh, issues about food. And, you know, I, I think that we have to look at food as food and you know, if you eat too many donuts for breakfast, you're going to get over that. Like you're not going to want donuts for breakfast and you're going to crave something savory and um, probably also equally bad for you, but just in a different way. Who knows? But I do feel I tell people all the time having four children is the best inoculation against helicopter parenting ever because I literally (laughs) do not have the bandwidth to worry about it. Um, I only have three, but I hear you. I'm right there. Yeah. I mean, a f- four We're sounds really disastrous for my cash. life, <laughs> for their lives. I don't have it's, a life. It's Is it disastrous or is it actually very liberating and awesome? Because you know what? I don't know my kids' grades in college. I actually don't check grade portals for my 15-year-old because those are his grades. And if he wants to fail, then he will face those consequences and we so, will figure it out. As a college counselor, when you, I mean, have you ever admitted that to some of the parents of the yeah. kids that you're counseling who might be so helicopter and so my child is going into the best school possible. What do you say yeah. when, when you say maybe you should like le- like lean, um, lessen up a little bit, lighten up? I mean, what message does that send our kids? It sends the message to our kids that every single test, every single quiz, every single homework assignment is is something that could ruin them. And that's really... I think that what we forget is that we have lived so much longer than they have. And a big part of their existence has been a pandemic. Um, And I'm talking specifically about the kids who are, you know, 20, 22 and younger. This is a big part of their existence has been dealing with this pandemic and um, and the adults not being okay. And I think that parents checking grade portals all the time, I mean, I can tell you, I work with high school students all the time. They know how to check their grade portals and they check their grade portals constantly. They don't need you checking their grade portals. They they know what their grades are. If they're struggling with their grades, 
I think that it's good to know that and you can check in every once in a while and you you need to be looking for patterns and trends in their behavior and in their grades. But honestly, knowing what their grades are every single day is so unhealthy for both of you, honestly. Mm -hmm. And parents, there's a reason why we put oxygen masks on parents first in an airplane. And that's because if you're not okay, they're not okay. And if they feel the anxiety and the worry coming off of you about grades, they are going to believe grades are all that matter. And I just don't want that message. How would you then, if you see a student or have a child that you you just know is special, they're bright, they're going somewhere, but they're not Mm -hmm. applying themselves. How do you get them to the top level or, or a stronger level than they're at? I mean, honestly, is it is it so terrible if they don't, quote, live up to their potential? Like, I think that, for me, yeah, it would be for me. It would be. Yeah, I think that's the prevailing thing. I honestly I think that, um, you know, I think treating them like a like the, a person and saying and not, you know, potential, but a person and saying, is there a reason you're bored? Are you bored? Are you uh, unstimulated like what do you love to do what lights you up inside what right. makes you excited to come to school is there anything that makes you excited to come to school these are all the answers to those questions are what are going to lead you to guide them to something else but honestly some of the smartest people i know dropped out of school harvard in fact yeah um some of the smartest people school there are kids who do school and there are kids who don't do school and it's why don't we start like thinking about other definitions of success and other definitions of what a path looks like? Because it, our traditional school system is not the right way for everybody. Yeah. I don't care how smart they are I, or I how know. bright they are. I know. I hear you. I just, I, I hate to see young people with with potential just think that they, they can, can be Mark back. Zuckerberg and quit school because they came up with Facebook. Like that's that's an anomaly. That's rare. That's a success story. That's not a given. Hundred percent. He's such an outlier. Um, and that's not really like Mark Zuckerberg is not my goal for my children. But um, but it might be their goal. I mean, I just I hear that all the time by 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 teenagers. Like, well, and they give you these examples, and you're like, dude, okay, but <laughs> that's not nearly the norm. But here's the thing: paths aren't linear. Like, if they decide. If they're not in that mode right now, they can go work, they can go do things, and they can come back. I mean, there's a college counselor who I'm friends with who ended up going to Harvard and then Harvard Law School. She failed out of high school. Um, she went and worked for a few years, and then she applied to a, col- a small liberal arts college, and she got in. And she went there for a year, and then she applied to transfer to Harvard, and she got in. And she just wasn't ready in high school. Like, she just wasn't there yet. And that's the thing. Like, everybody acts like there's some deadline or timeline. You can... You can get there eventually. You don't have to be there when you're 17. You can get there eventually. And I I just feel like putting pressure on the kids to be that kid when, when they're not there um, for whatever reason is why we have kids who uh, burn out, stop going to school. Um, you know, they they start seeing it as a horrible place. And that's just not, it's not going to lead anywhere good. I just always ask myself, is this getting the result you want? Um, because when I talk to kids and I say, you know, why are you not doing well in this class? Um, it's it's yeah, what never do they that say? they don't want to. 
they feel burnt out. Like they feel um, tired and they feel pressure and their way of coping is to stop. Gosh. So drop out. Is there a part of you as an adult who's been through all of this yourself that wants to say to them, well, welcome to the real world. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, um, we, we've all done those jobs we didn't want to do. We've had those bosses that were impossible. We've we've worked. We've tired. We've we've done it all to get where we want to be. And then when mm-hmm. you hear someone younger who doesn't have that life experience kind of tapping out, do you, mm-hmm. you kind of just want to shake them a little bit and be like, come on, you, you need to like get with it. The real world is, is awaiting for you and it has all of these problems. Um, I hear that a lot. And I think somebody posted uh, a comment on somewhere in the last week where they were like, like, what happened to resilience? Um, And I think that, you know, this this all comes back down to empathy. Like I empathize with parents and their worries and their concerns about the kids and and their worries that their kids aren't ready for the real world and they need to be. Mm. Um, I empathize with that point of view, like you need to suck it up and figure it out because this is only going to get worse. Um, But at the end of the day, I just have to remember, I don't know if you've done this, but I have, I have squished down in a um, four by four bathroom surrounding a toilet with 20 first graders while we did an active shooter drill. Um, And they told the first graders that they couldn't talk because the bad man might find them and shoot them. they have lived in oh a different God. way. These these kids have grown up knowing where the hard corners are in their classrooms. They know they can't go to a football game or a movie or a grocery store or school. Like they're not safe anywhere, which does something to your your system. Like that does something to your um, your cortisol your cortisol levels, um, if nothing else. They have grown up with social media and, you know, 9-11, we didn't have a 24-hour news cycle until 9-11. So I got to be a kid. 26 years old until 27 years old until I had a 24-hour news cycle. I got to be 33 before I had a smartphone in my hand that told me that 24-hour news cycle. These children were born into it and they have not known parents who didn't have that. Um, who didn't have the threat of terror, the threat of active shooters in their own minds. They've grown up with those parents. They've grown up going to school, having had um, active shooter drills their entire lives. And they've lived through a pandemic and a period of political instability that is pretty unfathomable to my little, you know, 80s child brain. Um, There's a lot that they have been through. And I would say, they're very well aware of the real world. And that's what they're saying. Maybe I'm not cool with it. Like, I think they're tapping out because they're like, I'm not sure I want that. Allison, that's the best explanation I think I've ever gotten. That the real world that they're presented is not the real world that I know or that I I came up in. Yeah, and we're on the other side. Like, we've seen both. We know what it was like before. And we know what it's like now, but we also know that the world is cyclical and we know about history, but these kids don't have frontal lobes developed yet. And they are 16, 17 years old and just went through a pretty huge trauma where the whole world stopped. And I mean, just speaking for my own children, and I put this in my essay, but my 20 year old, my 18 year old were at school when a child shot herself and had to duck into classrooms and push furniture up against the doors because nobody knew it was a suicide until much later. And when my 20 year old came home from school that day, he was 
15 or 16, he had tears in his eyes as he described to me his classmates banging on the door, begging to be let in. And they weren't allowed to open the doors because of Parkland protocol, because when the Parkland kids opened the doors, that's when they got shot. So he was just as traumatized by the fact that he had to stand there and not let his classmates in as he was about a classmate dying by suicide. And when people say these kids aren't ready for the real world, I say these kids have been through it and they are so resilient, but they're tired of being resilient. They have not known peace. And I've interviewed college students who have said to me, I'm so angry about the word resilience. Just because we're still here doesn't mean that we're okay. Um, we, we're resilient, yeah, but we're broken. Like we're, we're breaking, we're still breakable. And I will never frame my argument like that again. Where can we find your work, Allison? Yeah, I'm very Googleable. Um, I, <laughs> I, I have been, I am on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, um, but I have worked for the Today Show for the last seven years covering parenting and college admissions. Um, I'm on Washington Post on parenting section, um, grown and flown all over the, all over grown and flown. Uh, they're awesome. And they really are doing this work and trying to elevate these causes. Your Teen Magazine, Parents Magazine. Those are my those are my usual suspects. So Allison yeah. Slater Tate, thank you. You're welcome. Hi everybody, it's Brian Kilmead. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and of course what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.